physicians are busy you, and you want to respond to the patients, but you send out an email or you send a text message or task or portal message and the physician is not going to be able to respond to you uh, within maybe an hour, 20 minutes, 30 minutes, but you want that answer. When you don't have to do that so many times throughout the day, keep nurses engaged. On today's show, I talked to Seema Tagizade. We talk about nursing burnout and we talk about how that impacts conversion to treatment for patients. But before I get into today's show with Seema, I want to give today's shout out to Monica Moore. Many of you know Monica. She's a nurse practitioner. Many of you have worked with her. She's been on the show. We referenced her episode in today's discussion. And so shout out to Monica. Hope to get a text from you if you hear this. Seema Tagizade is director of nursing at Pacific Fertility Center, some town I've never heard of called Los Angeles, California. Never heard of the town, but reputable center. After working as a medical assistant, she knew she wanted to go back in training. She did that in the Bay Area, knew she wanted to be a nurse, went back for education and training, became a coordinator, became a third-party coordinator, became department supervisor, and finally director of nursing. After all of this, while being a patient herself, and we talk about different processes that nurses need to be involved in, how we keep them engaged, and to your bottom line, how this impacts conversion to treatment. I try to bring us as close as we possibly can at the edge of the sales and marketing sphere of the Venn diagram. But that doesn't just drop off a cliff. It has to overlap with ops and it has to overlap with clinical ops. And one who says that business ops and clinical ops don't overlap is not being truthful. And so in this episode, I get as far as I can with my purview and then let Seema take it the rest of the way. And I hope you enjoy the conversation. Welcome to Inside Reproductive Health, the shop talk of the fertility field. Here, you'll hear authentic and unscripted conversations about practice management, patient relations, and business development from the most forward-thinking experts in our field. Wall Street and Silicon Valley both want your patience, but there is a plan if you are willing to take action. Visit fertilitybridge.com to learn about the first piece of building a fertility marketing system, the goal and competitive diagnostic. Now, here's the founder of Fertility Bridge and the host of Inside Reproductive Health, Griffin Jones. Mrs. Tagizade, Seema, welcome to Inside Reproductive Health. Thank you very much, Griffin. It's an honor to be here. You know, I've been connected for a while, and it was just interesting to me that you were a fan of the show because you're in a nursing role, and this is a business podcast. And I have brought on nurses in the past where my interest lies is that I, as a firm, have to get involved into everything that can lead from, from initial patient acquisition all the way to help people convert. And there's so much of a role that nurses play in that. People don't care about new patients in the door. Most of the people listening have more new patients than they know what to do with. But how you actually get people to convert to treatment, there's so much on the shoulders of the nurses, and we're going to talk a bit about that. First, maybe give us a state of the union with what's happening the last six months in a, in a post-COVID world in infertility clinics since we all opened back up again. What's the state of nursing in the IVF clinic right now? Well, what a lot of teleconference and telemedicine starting after COVID, you know that a lot of more patients have access to schedule a new patient. They uh, reach out to physicians. There's a lot of emails going back and forth. Meanwhile, not a lot of nurses and nursing teams can be in the clinic. So majority of the people who can work from home are working from home. So we don't have a lot of help in the clinic. 
but we have the benefit of telemedicine um, bringing us a lot more new patients. Alongside with that, we have shorter hours. Uh, physicians come to the clinic uh, within shorter period, periods of time. We can't have all four physicians in the clinic because of the COVID. We want to reduce the traffic in the clinic. And so it's a little bit more intense for the nurses that they're doing much more in less than less time than before. And it's just hectic. It is very hectic right now. From just your anecdotal experience, but also talking to other people in the field that are in your position, anecdotally, what's the, what is burnout like now compared to what it was a year ago? It's a little bit worse. Right now, nurse burnout is more than what it was last year. Like I said, because there are more patients coming in, there are more questions, more emails, more phone calls involved because people are working from home. They have more time to reach out. And alongside with that, we have less nurses working. Through the very first few months of COVID, we had a lot of furloughs. A lot of people were um, not able to work. So we had to do more work with minimum support. And um, that all has caused um, all of the nurses to be a little bit more stressed. We have um, less access to the physicians because they also have personal lives. They, they have a lot of changes at home as well. They have their kids at home. They need to spend more time with the family. And um, these all have caused nursing teams to be a little bit stressed right now, a little bit burnt out. And um, let's also not forget that it's a pandemic. Every so often, one of your team members is going to be affected or exposed and um, other members have to pick up the, the work. And that's been happening at so many clinics where there, there, there are some clinics that actually might have herd immunity right now, if they'll pardon the tongue in cheek, that because yeah. COVID has, has really ripped through some of those offices and that's caused logistical challenges. Where I have this interest is that everything that needs to be done from a business development has to lead back to conversion to treatment because if... If we aren't helping as many people move towards treatment that, sh that should and can be, not everyone moves forward to treatment, but everyone that should and can be, and that's an important distinction. If we don't achieve that, then we have less people getting pregnant, less people starting their families, less people getting the help that they need, less money to the clinic, less buffer there is to support staff when things happen. So conversion to treatment is really important. How does nursing burnout in your view, linked to conversion to treatment? Oh, it has a huge effect. It has a negative effect on the burnout, um, on the conversion. And that's because um, when you have nurses who have a huge caseload of, uh, they have a lot of patients coming through, they have so many phone calls and emails to respond to, um, they don't have that extra time to put in that extra touch to follow up to call the patient and say, hey, I sent you this lab requisition last week. Have you done it? Do you have any questions? I sent you the consent forms. Have you done it? Do you, do you wanna um, add anything to this? Do you have any questions? Um, this is your next step. If they don't do that, you see that patient fall through the cracks. As um, I know you have, um, I've heard this on your show before. I think it was Dr. Uh, Serena Chen that said one of the most important reasons for um, a patient not getting pregnant um, is just drop out if they don't continue treatment. 
I mean, we have reached to that state in fertility that if you commit to a treatment, you get pregnant. And when the nurses don't have that extra compassion, when they don't create that rapport with the patient, with the first um, appointment, with the new patient visit, see that the clinic loses those patients. Another thing that you know is that, and everyone knows this, fertility uh, fertility patients shop around. They schedule appointments with different physicians in the area. Um, They go in, they check out the clinic. Well, right now with telemedicine, they have more time to have, um, to research the clinics, research the physician, research the nursing team. And they actually test out the clinic to see how many times did the nurse reach out? Did they call me? Did they ask me for any follow-up? And when you don't have that touch, you lose the patient. For everyone listening about the touch, there's there's some of this that's on the operational side quite a bit, but it's not all entirely on the operational side. And what I mean by that is to the extent that expectations are set more properly, this is what people need to focus their marketing on. Marketing cannot just be about new patients in the door. If you don't have, if you don't convert people to IVF, they're not happy or to the treatment that's best for them. That's an important distinction because not everybody should move to IVF, but to the treatment plan that is best for them, which often will be IVF. If we don't do this, then the marketing is for naught. And to the extent that we're setting expectations properly and resetting them again and again, that needs to happen in each four of the patient journey phases. And so what you're talking about, Seema, is is when these expectations fall on the nurse, this is also what people are judging the clinic on. It's what they're writing reviews about. It's it's what how you're going to affect on the net promoter score. And we know that if you're zero to six on the net promoter score, you, people are detracting from you. If they're seven to eight, they're just not saying anything. And they're only recommending you if they're nine or 10 on the net promoter score. And that delta between satisfaction and expect expectation minus delivery equals satisfaction, I believe, is one way that that's described is kind of setting up for what you're talking about on the nursing side. And so when you have these expectations from patients that they're going to that they're going to get a contact at a certain amount of time or information at a certain amount of time, is it? in the possibility for the nurses to be able to reset those expectations and continually recalibrate them so they're realistic, or is it too late by the time they get to the nursing team? Um, Absolutely. I think nurses can uh, reset any kind of expectations, Uh, but you have to be within a window. You don't want to do this three weeks after the new patient visit, four weeks, but you don't want to do it two days after the new patient visit. Uh, you know that at the new patient visit, there's a lot of information, a huge load of information that's given to the patient. And physician already gives them a lot of information. Then they get moved to the financial counselor. Financial counselor gives them a lot of information. Then the nurse comes in. You want to talk about pharmacies and medications and consent forms and lab requisitions and everything that's needed to know. Patient leaves with that huge information overload um, and they don't know what to do. Sometimes also it, it happens that um, you meet with a physician, you just don't click, or it's just something that you feel like, okay, this physician wasn't what I expected. Maybe I can switch that physician to another physician. You still as a center, you want to keep the patient in your center. When the nurse reaches out and says, hey, what happened? How was the visit? Is there anything that I can add to this? Um, 
I sent you this, 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 this in PDF format, review it, let me know what you think. If you have any questions, um, you can see sometimes that like if they didn't have that good connection with the physician even, they can talk about it to the nurse and the nurse can help switch the physician. It, it doesn't happen that often, um, but still, if it happens, a nurse can still keep that patient into the practice in the center. Sometimes it's even the nurses. It might be the financial counselor that the patient just didn't have that great report with. And you can still, um, if you have your financial counselors also reach out to the patient from the financial part and say, okay, I ran your insurance and this is what can be covered. This is what cannot be covered. These will be your responsibility. Do you have any other questions? These are the compassionate care program or um, all these um, financial benefits and financial assistance programs that you can reach out to. How was your connection with your nurse? How was your connection with your physician? When you reach out to the patient through different departments, you will be able to keep that patient satisfied from all different departments. And that makes, it'll be a, a benefit that not all of clinics have that. Not all the clinics do that. Let's talk a little bit about that follow-up too, because there is a balance that is delicate in that follow-up, but to move people towards treatment, follow-up is absolutely mm -hmm. critical. Coming from the center, not waiting for the patient to do this. And I really take this stance because some of our clients are already doing it when we, and some people aren't. And part of the reason why people aren't is because they don't want to be pushy and you can be pushy. You, you can definitely do the wrong follow-up. So what is the cadence of follow-up that nurses should have after the new patient visit? Who should be doing it? And in your view, what should it entail? If you set that expectation right, so let's say at the new patient visit, the patient meets with the physician and there's a question, the patient asks a question about so-and-so. Physician says, okay, I will let my nurses know to reach out to you. And when the nurse meets with the patient, um, he or she says, okay, these are all the information I need you to review. I will reach out to you in one week or two weeks, and I will go over all of these with you again. In the meantime, if you have any questions, reach out to me. Financial counselors should do the same. Financial counselors should sit down with the patient and say, okay, let's talk business. This is the cost. This is what your insurance might or might not cover. We're going to run it. This, this, this is going to be your responsibility. So let's do a research on this. And these are the companies you can reach out to for financial assistance. And once I get more information, I will reach out to you. So the patient is waiting for that follow-up from the nurse, from the financial counselor. And you're not bombarding them with emails and um, follow-up calls and um, surveys. Because, you know, when you go... As a new patient, you go in, we all know that everybody has electronic surveys that's going to be sent out to the patient. So you don't want to bombard patients with so many different um, platforms trying to get feedback. But when you set that expectation with the patient, with the nurse and the financial counselor, and sometimes even the physician say, hey, there's something that the patient asked me that I want to follow up. Let me go look up that research, and I'm going to actually reach out to you and talk to you about that. And that will be a good follow-up. But the patient is expecting that. So you're not going to sound so pushy. That framing of expectations is critical. As long as the patient knows that they're going to be reached out to, then you're not bothered. The, the message still matters, but the expectation, mm -hmm. how it's delivered, 
is absolutely paramount. If people aren't doing it, they need to have a, a process for being able to do that. So we can see how the we can see how nursing burnout is is affecting conversion to treatment in that sense. But what about morale? Like when what does burnout do to morale? And then what does that do to conversion to treatment? Like nurses' attitudes. And I see some perspectives of, the, of that are very from the old school, or we just have a lot of type A people in our field that are worker bees, that are workhorses, that have no problem working 70, 80 hours a week and and just pushing yep. themselves send to them the limit. To me. Send them, send their resumes to me. <laughs> well, uh, I know a lot of them are physicians. I know, I know that there are, are, are nursing workhorses too, but, but I think sometimes people that, that are from that ilk have the MO of saying, just get on with it. And so yeah. uh, if, and, and then I also think that there are people that are soft, that are, uh, there's not a lot in our field, but there's probably some, I think just, I think in society, there's a lot of soft people. I'm not really speaking to the fertility field, but it's that think that they need all of the self-care in the world. And it's like, brother, we're not going to get anything done if that's the case. So yeah. where do you see that balance? And what do you see the actual practical implication of burnout to morale and, and how that practically plays out. So we don't have to say, yes, you're being softer or you're being old school, but rather what are the practical implications of morale and how, and, and how burnout affects that to conversion to treatment and other ops? Let's look at it this way. Imagine for a second that you're the nurse that has been working since 730 in the morning, have been setting up rooms or helping MAs in the clinic, helping physicians, so many questions, so many emails, so many phone calls. And it's 2 p.m., physician walks out with this new patient or it's a telemedicine. They give you this patient and say, this is a new patient. She needs this, 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 this. Send her all the information for all these four different topics. Requisition, financial, um, financial counselor will reach out with everything. You send uh, prescription. You will need to send consent forms. You will need to send follow-up research about single embryo transfer, and you're already so tired, you already have reached that level through the day that um, you have talked to so many people. Let's say you've called two negative pregnancies already, and now you're gonna have to have all of this repeated to this new patient, but you are responsible to create this rapport with the patient who just walked in through the center. And if you are, that burned out, what are you going to do? You're just going to brush it off and say, okay, here's all this information, review it, call me if you have any questions. That's it. You lost that patient. Sim simple as that. When the nurse's attitudes affect patient conversion this much, and um, it affects the health of the clinic so much, um, you want to see what is, what are the things that can change that attitude for you? What are the things that Simple, little simple thank you from the physician. You assisted a procedure with a physician, a physician walks out and just simply says, hey, thank you, or good job on that ultrasound, or hey, thank you for reaching out to that patient for me. That sets the morale to change. But yes, morale burnout, attitude of the nurses is going to have a huge impact on the number of uh, patients that will stay in the clinic, uh, conversion rate. And like I said, like you said, type A personality patient, uh, nurses that you have will always be a successful nurse, but how many of those can you have? 
for the people listening, the operational side, the operational marketing that they can do is the lowest hanging fruit. For anyone that wants to have more volume on the procedure level, the lowest hanging fruit is the is on the operational side, but that does not mean it's the easiest. It's it can be the hardest because you're asking people that are already doing a lot to do either more or to do something else. So when we're helping people do this, before we have them do something more, we need to see, we need to cut things out because there's only so many hours in the day and there are only, there's only so much bandwidth that people have. So what follow-up should nurses not be doing? Nothing financial. Um, and this is a very um, famous topic that all of the nursing teams always say that, and even management knows that nurses should not be involved with anything financial. Payments, um, business, any of that money talk at all, nurses shouldn't be involved with that. Because I feel like the rapport and the relationship that the nurses have with the patients is it's something that's pure that you do not want to kind of get it tainted with uh, payments. You know, patients get frustrated with bills. They get frustrated with the um, business administration of the money, payment plans, and they get upset with that. And you do not want to have your nurses be involved in that because it will damage their relationship with the nurses. And I think the second thing that the nurses shouldn't be involved is the embryology record. I feel like... Um, for the nurses to reach out to the patients and talk about the fertilization report or embryology report. It's something that uh, should be done either by the embryology team or the physician. Not that the nurses don't have the knowledge of this or they can't understand the grading system um, or information on how the fertilization occurs uh, or the names and uh, with the lingo of the embryology, they understand it and they're very good at it. But I don't think that they are the best person to reach out to the patients and explain to them what happened with the fertilization. Um, other than these two, I think any other kind of follow-up, whether clinical or even just uh, they just patient just needs someone to listen to them, any other follow-up or anything needed in the uh, journey of fertility, nurses can handle and nurses should be involved because of the relationship that they have with the patient. Okay, so we know what nurses should not be doing. We know what nurses should be doing and why. How do we keep them engaged? One of the very good things for the nurses to be engaged is education. Education is one of the really good topics that's always interesting for nurses. Fortunately, in a fertility clinic, there's so many different positions and so many different degrees, as I can say, like you, you have a physician, you have a nurse, you have a uh, nurse practitioner, they're MAs, they're um, receptionists. There's so many different positions that you can have at a fertility clinic and you can grow. And I don't know if you know, but that's how I got here. I actually was a medical assistant at a fertility clinic and I started with just um, helping in the OR. I was just technically just cleaning the OR after every surgery. And then I went to went back to nursing school and I got LVN and I got my RN and then I got my master's degree and I just moved along so many different positions. One of the things that it really gets nurses engaged is um, to put them in that path, teach them more. The fertility uh, technology is so rapid growing and there's so 
many technology and uh, knowledge added to it every day that if you keep your nurses involved in that knowledge, whether it's from, um, let's say, embryology or even protocols or medication stimulation protocols, it get, keeps them engaged in, in the sense that they see a growing path. They see that they can um, grow in their position, in their even uh, daily tasks. And a lot of physicians uh, do that very well. They encourage the nurses to learn more when they discuss something with um, the patients and you have the nurse in the room with you. Um, they walk out and they say, well, did you learn that? I was talking about, let's say, um, vitamin D. And this, these are the reasons that you want to always check vitamin D levels. So next time when the patient calls and the nurse has this knowledge and understands if they're asking about vitamin D, it gives them so much satisfaction. They're like, hey, I reached to the level that I can answer a question about vitamin D. This is one of the reasons that you want to generally educate nurses um, constantly. You don't want to stop that. It, it has to be constant. You have to have meetings at least once a month. Even a simple half hour, one hour seminar from one of your own physicians that can educate nurses about uterine anomalies or anything, anything that you deal with on a daily basis. It gives them so much satisfaction. I want to give a plug for some nursing education. I'm not a nurse, so I'm just getting feedback from many nurses who've told me these things, and they're not paying me to do this. So if you don't like it, I don't care. The first is a mutual mm -hmm. friend of ours, Monica Moore, who I know many practice owners who have retained her as a consultant and a trainer. And it really given me outstanding feedback on both of those. And the, the second is I've heard a lot of people talk about the Midwest Reproductive Symposium Conference. And not everybody knows about that because it's, it's not ASRM, but it, is, it does draw people from everywhere. It's in Chicago. It's Dr. Beltzos's baby. So for Dr. Beltzos and Nikki Pappas, if they're listening, this is a plug for MRS. I've just heard a lot of good things from nurses if, if people are thinking about what types of education. There, there are others and probably a couple angry emails of saying, why didn't you mention me? Those are just two that I've, I've gotten a, a disproportionate amount of feedback on. And the, uh, I want to say the, the second thing uh, that you were talking about, about with, with burnout and, and encouraging people longer, you were, you were talking about education to motivate, but there's also something else. And when we work with marketing teams, if, if we're doing training for marketing teams, one of the things that they struggle with is how do we get the buy-in of all the docs, especially if it's a big multi-lab, multi-state, several dozen doctors, they have a hard time getting those people to, to buy in or the nurses or the other staff. I say, you need to encourage at every single level. And inevitably on social media, somebody's going to say something like, Seema was just the most wonderful person that we've ever worked with. And we would not have had this journey without, we wouldn't have been able to get through this journey without her. Seema needs to see this. So for those listening, I don't care if you're on the business side, your clinical team needs to see this. This is one of the ways that the lanes of marketing swim back to the lanes of clinical operations and vice versa. So I hope it's not too tangential for the motivation that you were talking about from education, but those, these success stories really need to be shared with uh, the clinical team exactly. as well. Exactly. And there's also another part to that that may I add to this is that you want to be transparent with your nursing team. If you are receiving any kind of feedback from your patients on the survey, because, you know, these surveys go to the managers. They don't go directly to the um, nurses. 
when you see all these positives, you want to be really transparent and share that with the nursing team. As majority of the time, managers, when they receive a negative feedback, the very first thing you do is you go to that nurse and say, hey, this is the negative I we received about you. What happened here? How did this happen? How can we fix this? But we don't see the positives being forwarded to the nurses. So that's that's a very good point. You want to always be transparent with the negatives and the positives. That also keeps them engaged. Absolutely. And uh, managers also need to be trained on how to use feedback surveys because there's a there's a couple of myths. One is that people live leave more negative reviews. They only leave reviews when they're negative. That simply isn't true. But it is true that it's not the same as having your total sample size or close to it. Reputation management is different from patient satisfaction, even though they overlap. And so having people that can report on the aggregate is important because the customer, the patient singular is not always right. That's a failed axiom. What is true is that the customers, the patients, plural, the market is always right. It has to be taken on the aggregate because anyone can have a home run or a bad day. Okay, so here's the skinny. Just as your fertility group has advantages over other groups, your competitors also possess advantages over your IVF center that you don't have access to yet. Now you can say their consolidation model won't work or their lab sucks or their doctor's crazy or that low cost model cuts quality or who would ever get their fertility testing done from a food truck, but many of them are onto something. If you're not maximizing your own natural strengths and adapting to what the new patient demographic is demanding, then they start to do more cycles where you are, get better rates from insurance and vendors, take your patients and even your staff. We work to maximize those competitive advantages because Fertility Bridge is the only creative and business development firm that exclusively subspecializes in the fertility field. We have an entire team of people who help fertility centers attract and retain the right patients and nothing else for a living. So we can help only your competitors and then they have an even bigger advantage or we can help you too. Our initial consulting engagement is the goal in competitive diagnostic. It's only $5.97 and we equip your partners and leadership with the foundation to leverage your competitive strengths, not mimicking someone else and not let your competitors have an unfair advantage. There's no long-term commitment whatsoever and there's a 100% money back guarantee. Send your manager to fertilitybridge.com, have them sign up for the goal in competitive diagnostic and I will see you and your partners on Zoom. How else do we get nurses engaged? You talked about when we were emailing back and forth, you mentioned let nurses have fun. What is fun, Seema? How specific can you be with that? <laughs> because otherwise it's just kind of the, the hippy-dippy abstract concept. Like how actionable can you get with that? Um, one thing that I really want to mention is that being a fertility nurse is very stressful. It is very stressful to be there, to deal with a, a lot of that treatment, that um, diagnosis day in and day out. And some of the fertility nurses are fertility patients themselves, so they feel inside and out. Um, it's stressful. It's really hard to like day in and day out talk, talk to patients and sometimes give negative news. And we feel the same. We've, I think this is one of um, the things that Monica always says, Monica Moore. We genuinely care about this patient. We go home thinking about what 
could have I said to make this easier to the patient? How could I have uh, changed my uh, vocabulary to reach out to the patient and say something that hurts less a little bit? And that's stressful. Doing that constantly every day, day in and day out, it's very stressful. So you want to allow a little bit of fun. Fun is having the nurses get together, do stuff outside of the office, start teams of sports teams that they can bond outside of office or even inside of the office. When you're scheduling nurses, you want to allow a little bit of extra time here and there. You don't want to schedule two, three new patients back to back to one nurse within two, three hours. That's when you get the burnout and that's when you lose the patients because we're all human. It's very stressful and you don't want to have to feel that pain constantly. Some of other things that I can mention about allowing fun is that I have always seen that uh, when nurses work with a physician who is happy, who comes in, jokes around, nurses do better as opposed to physicians who come in and they're a little bit, I don't want to say grumpy, but serious. They come in and they're serious. They're there to do their job. They don't want to bond. They don't want to communicate with um, anybody else other than the patient. Um, It gets a little bit difficult and challenging to keep the nurses engaged. You want to be involved in a nursing team where the physicians are even happy and funny and they walk in and they joke with everybody. And even just like I said, simple thank you or how are you? How's your daughter? How's your son? That personal touch uh, will make it a little bit easier for the nurses to tolerate all the stress and pain that they go through every day. Kind of made me think of something and I want to ask about how the physicians might consider that type of bonding, but it makes me think of an ASRM probably five years ago. And there was a physician that who we all know, and I was walking by and we, we had met each other a, a few times and we, we, we've become friends since, but we were probably acquaintances at that point. And he said, as I'm walking by, he says, there goes the happiest guy I know. And he was talking about me. And I was thinking <laughs> if the 12 people in my life that are Morse core, you know, those core friends and family don't feel that way about me. And if my employees don't feel that way about me before an acquaintance perceives me that way, then I feel like there's a real incongruence. And I wonder if there's an incongruence sometimes where physicians can take the profile that you've described of being upbeat and, and a little bit more relaxed and engaging with patients, but then maybe not with their staff. How common or not is that? That happened. I don't know. I've been very fortunate to work with all of the physicians that I've worked with uh, throughout these 12 years. Um, majority uh, uh, don't get me are, wrong, Seema. I don't mean like Dr. Jekyll, yeah. Mr. Hyde, where they're, where they're putting on a facade. I just, but I know it myself. Like I'm in one mood when I'm talking with clients. And then, and then when I'm back with the team, I'm just, I'm a dog on a bone and I'm th- okay. We, like, mm-hmm. we have to accomplish the objectives and I'm always thinking about the objectives and I need to remind myself, okay, you need to allow your team to experience some of that happiness, some of that happy go lucky, some of the, the rapport building a little bit more casual at times. And I need to actually remind myself. So that's what I'm referring to. Yeah. Well, it is, it is very common. You know that the physicians have a different relationship with the patients than the relationship they have with the nurses. And it's just as they enter into the exam room, they have, they're they a completely different person because you want to have um, that patient also be happy. You still don't know how that patient is going to react to this um, unless you have a patient that you know for years or 
uh, you know that they're okay and you continue joking and you walk in making fun and all of that and it works out. But majority of the time physicians are more serious with the patients than they are with the nurses. That is, that is very common. Let's talk a little bit about decision making. We've been talking about how nursing engagement, if we don't do this right, is going to cost us IVF volume. It's going to cost us in conversion if we if we don't tend to burnout. So what does decision making play in all of this? What autonomy should nurses have where they're just accountable for their seat and not every micro decision? It's it, here are the decisions that you are allowed to make. We'll review your overall performance over time, but but we're not coming in and saying, oh, now you need my approval for this decision. And what what decision making belongs solely within the purview of a good IVF nurse? If a physician has been working for that with that nursing team uh, for quite some time and they understand what the nursing team is capable of doing and they describe a protocol. Let's say there's so many little things that you can describe to the nurses and say, for like stimulation, always start the patient on day two. Stimulation is for like four days, five days. This dose is always the dose that I will pick. Here's what you do and bring them back on day five. And you don't have to go to the physician for that decision. When the nurses have tiny little autonomy to make those decisions for the patients and say, okay, this falls on Saturday, so I'm just going to bring you on Friday instead of Saturday. And the physicians are okay with that. That gives them some satisfaction. Like you explained the protocol for, let's say, I mentioned this again, but vitamin D. Like if the vitamin D is below this, give them this much vitamin D, that much vitamin D. And when they make those decisions and they don't have to go to the physician for every single thing, slowly, one thing is that they learn. It gives them that satisfaction that I have this knowledge this much that I can handle this without reaching out to the physician. And also they don't have to reach out to the physician so many times throughout the day because it's challenging. Physicians are busy. You and you want to respond to the patients, but you send out an email or you send a text message or task or portal message, and the physician is not going to be able to respond to you uh, within maybe an hour, 20 minutes, 30 minutes, but you want that answer. When you don't have to do that so many times throughout the day, it keeps nurses engaged. So what what do you feel does not belong in the, in the purview of, of nurses' decision-making? What decision should they not be making? That maybe sometimes they are. Yeah, that's another thing. Um, treatment, there are so much more to what we see from outside um, to a patient's um, treatment that the physician can understand. Whether it's switching them to do IVF or IUI, sometimes the nurses assume because I saw that other patient who was doing this and the physician said you can do IVF with XC and PGT. Um, I'm just going to assume that he's also going to say that this patient is going to do this. He or she's going to say that this patient is also going to have the same protocol. And you give information about that, that you shouldn't be. This, this is a decision between the physician and the patient, what kind of treatment they want to do, um, when they want to start. And um, these are the decisions that the nurses shouldn't be making. Otherwise, you fall into this situation that the nurse will say something and the physician will say something else and the patient will call the manager what's going on? I hear something from the nurse. I hear something from the physician. And this is why I've always mentioned that nurses shouldn't be involved in making decisions for the treatment. And I think a lot of nurses agree with me on that. 
Seema, how would you want to conclude with our audience about how burnout is costing clinics in conversion to treatment or anything else that we really need to know about the way we manage our IVF nurses? Aside from the business part of it, that you really want to keep the patients in your practice and you um, you spend so much money on advertising to bring these patients and they come and you want to keep them, you want to convert them to treatment. Aside from that business part of it, you really want to keep and retain your staff. Um, one of the very important things is that I, I really want the physician to get along. Physicians in a center should get along. And if, if there's something that they cannot agree, the staff shouldn't know about this. And because that causes the nurses and the entire staff to have problems. And that problem will fall into another problem and it transfers to the patient and that causes damage. Physicians should get along. Management team, leadership team should be always transparent for the nurse, with the nurses. You should have nursing meetings. When there's a problem, you should predict the problem. Schedule a meeting with all the nurses and say, hey, I heard that this is going to happen and we're going to have a problem. So-and-so is going to be out of office and we're going to have a two-week, three-week period that the work is going to be a lot. What do you think we should do? What do you recommend we should do to um, work as a team? Involve the nurses into the decisions that are decision-making that is involved in their daily tasks, daily life. You want to keep your nurses happy. You want to check the caseload. You always want to manage to make sure that the caseload is spread out uh, equally among the nurses. Sometimes you also want to look at the group of the patients that you are giving to a nurse. If you want to give all of the complicated cases to one specific nurse and all the easy cases to another nurse, that causes also problems. You want to always manage the caseload that you're giving to your nurses. And everyone knows that it's really difficult to hire fertility nurses, to train fertility nurses. So you want to retain your staff. It's when a patient walks in through the door and you you introduce them to this nurse who has been there in your clinic for 15 years, for 20 years, that sets a um, standard for the patient to understand that this practice is very successful, that the nurses have been here for 20 years, they know what they're doing. And uh, these are all... Um, key points that the patients uh, pay attention to when they're picking a practice. And I always want to advocate for nurses. As, um, as a nurse manager, I, I request all the physicians to be nice to nurses, be nice to your nursing team, your staff, uh, clinical assistants, medical assistants, just a simple thank you, just a simple how are you, how's your day. Uh, even a tiny smile will make their days different. I hope that that request is well heeded. Seema Tajizadeh, thank you so much for coming on Inside Reproductive Health. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it, Griffin. Um, I'm happy to be here. Thank you. You've been listening to the Inside Reproductive Health Podcast with Griffin Jones. If you're ready to take action to make sure that your practice thrives beyond the revolutionary changes that are happening in our field and in society, visit fertilitybridge.com to begin the first piece of the fertility marketing system, the goal and competitive diagnostic. Thank you for listening to Inside Reproductive Health.